My name's John Fedderson. I'm Aurora's Chief Executive, uh, and I'm really delighted to welcome you to Aurora's Fifth Spring Forum, uh, which is uh, being held once again in the historic... Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Aurora Energy Research. It's going to be looking at the future of energy, the key theme of Aurora's biggest ever Spring Forum. Coming up, we'll be hearing from industry giants such as E.ON Chairman and CEO Johannes Tyson, plus other energy experts and leaders. But first, Ian Conn, the Group Chief Executive of Centrico, was one of the forum's keynote speakers. He started by focusing on what he believes are the most immediate issues. Predicting the future is a treacherous business, not least because the rate of change within our lifetimes has been so considerable. In 1962, in his famous Moon speech, John F. Kennedy condensed the span of human So the energy sector is changing years. dramatically. I mean, a lot of it is down to the drive to combat climate change. And there are three other trends that are going on as a result. The energy system is becoming decentralized, so more and more generation is happening closer to the customer. The second thing is that customers, as a result, are becoming more powerful and the rent is moving towards where the customer is as a result. And then, of course, digitization, digitalization, which is speeding the whole thing up. This is spawning new business models, new propositions, all for the benefit of the customer. That's how I see the near-term changes. And in the long run, the bigger issues are whether or not we are confronting adequately the use of, for example, coal and dealing with the differential growth rates in energy between the developing world and the established world. The question now is where will these trends lead? I think there are two paths that lead to profoundly different futures. On the one hand, there's a path that leads us to a net zero emissions economy and the promise of the Paris Accord. We harness the growth in renewables and decentralized energy systems, drive energy efficiency as hard as possible, find a solution to the rise of unabated coal-fired power, address the hard-to-abate sectors, and find ways to decarbonize heating and cooling. And we accelerate all of this through harnessing digitalization. This is the harder path, the path that requires active engagement from all parties because there is also a passive path. The path where we celebrate the relative progress of incremental improvements, avoid the most politically challenging issues, and allow change to happen to us, rather than shape it ourselves. Now there's a session on later called Reflections on Leadership and Strategy in Large Energy Companies. What do you think they should be considering? So I believe one of the biggest challenges for, rather pertinently, governments today or business leadership today or any leader of a large organization, change is happening so fast and the traditional vehicles we've relied upon, the institutions, the norms that we've relied upon are all being challenged. This makes the leadership task really hard. You've got to think long run and short term all at the same time and the things you were thinking about last month are challenged this month. It makes for a very difficult cocktail. And the most important thing is to keep focused on what is important to you, in our case, the customer and our people, and having the capability to manage change on a continuous basis. I began this talk referring to Kennedy's moon speech, delivered in Houston, Texas in 1962. 
In that speech, Kennedy committed America to putting a man on the moon within the decade, which of course they did. It was perhaps the ultimate illustration of the ingenuity of humanity. The future of energy and the sustainability of the planet is in our hands. To borrow Kennedy's words, it will be the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Thank you. That was Ian Conn, Group Chief Executive of Centrica. Juliet Davenport is the CEO and founder of Good Energy, a leading renewable energy company. She took part in one of the many breakout discussions that happened at the forum, in this case looking at whether the future of energy retail will consist of evolution or revolution. Speaking afterwards, Juliet said we may well see shocks in the market and that could bring big changes. So the shocks I think we've seen in this market before um, have been things like the solar shock. So we saw a huge amount of deployment of solar. Nobody expected it. None of the big energy companies invested in it. And National Grid didn't see it coming. So, and what we saw that change was actually the way, so we got over a million households with solar on their roofs. Suddenly that changed the conversation about energy. It changed the way people started to think about energy. Um, And it changed the whole marketplace in terms of, actually, there's a bunch of energy coming the other way, not just one way. And I think those are the kind of shocks that we could see again. So you could start to see the fact that, actually, we could see a future where solar is so cheap that people just put it on their roofs anyhow. They don't need a subsidy anymore. If you start to see that kind of market, there's no control. There's no central control. There's no subsidy. There's no government policy that completely turns it on its head. And what does that market look like? And what does that market need from a supplier point of view? What service do you provide into that market? That's where I start to think we could see revolution. And EVs were kind of thrown into the mix there as well. Yeah, so EVs, again, another fast adopter market we're seeing coming through. We're seeing new EVs come out every day, pretty much. Um, And we're beginning to see it become the norm people who would look to buy a new car or a second-hand car are now thinking about an EV as a possibility. That means that suddenly you take people off the forecourts, they're charging at home, they're charging in their business, they might charge on the go, but a lot of that market looks completely different than it did before. That might mean if we don't control it, that people just plug in when they get home at five o'clock, you increase the five o'clock's peak. Does that mean we start to see a lot of time and day tariffs coming through that we've never seen before? Um, If you mix that with electric heat systems as well, how do you balance those two next to each other? So I think actually at that point you could start to see a lot of dynamic demand coming from the customer, domestic customer we've never seen before. Juliet Davenport, CEO and founder of Good Energy. Someone else taking part in a breakout discussion was Sinead Lynch, chair of Shell UK Limited. It was called Future Energy Technologies, When Will CCUS Come of Age? Sinead thinks that after many years, something is beginning to change. So I think in my summary, I was very much reflecting on the way in which government, industry, academia, NGOs, associations have all really come together to work on what the CCUS deployment pathway is for the UK. And I think what we have gained then is therefore a very clear... um, 
view on what the cost reduction pathway can be, what the commercial models are likely to be and what the policy framework needs to be. And I think that's the first time that we really have that sort of integrated view on how you enable CCUS in the UK. I think the other thing that's become more and more clear and that feels different is there are so many scenarios out there from the IPCC to Shell Sky scenario to what you see with um, the Committee on Climate Change and all of them show the same thing. All of them show that you cannot meet either our legislative targets in the UK or a net zero emission world in 2050 to 2070 timeline without CCUS. And I think there is that growing understanding that it is a critical cross-cutting technology. And, and I don't think that clarity of the role of CCUS across the energy system decarbonisation was really just quite as clearly articulated previously. One of the obstacles that were mentioned is uh, economies of scale. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, no, we're, that's one of the reasons that we are so in favour of this move to a cluster model. So what you really do need to see is economies of scale. You need to see shared infrastructure wherever you can. This is not a difficult technology. We know how to do it. Um, but right now it is quite a costly technology. It's pre-commercial and very capital intensive. And so the more you can leverage existing infrastructure, sharing infrastructure, partnerships between maybe power, uh, power project, clean power project and industry, the more likely you are to get down that cost curve. Sinead Lynch there, chair of Shell UK Limited. Now, before we go any further, just a quick note to ask if you could please rate and review this podcast when you get a moment. Also, you can subscribe for free, of course, on your favoured podcast platform. Still to come on the Aurora Energy Research podcast, we'll be hearing from E.ON's chairman and CEO, Johannes Tyson. But first, Carol Gould is EMEA Head of Power and Renewables for MUFG. She was there to talk about the future of renewables and how to get to true subsidy free. Subsidy is not the issue, it's stable income. So banks are looking for some sort of contracted income to ensure that there is some certainty to the revenues. Obviously you've got volatility in the energy yield itself and volatility in the power price um, starts to add up to sort of quite a lot of volatility that makes things more difficult for banks to finance. But if there is at least a degree of contracted revenues, then that should be something that banks can consider. MUFG are, of course, one of the sponsors of the forum, as are Greencoat Capital, whose James Samworth featured in one of our preview podcasts. Barclays are also a sponsor. Ian Smedley is chairman of their European Power Utilities and Infrastructure team. His discussion subject, specialisation versus integration in the utilities sector. I think there was a reasonable consensus that you know, there is still a strong integrated model in the utility sector covering customers but also generation assets and networks. I was making the point that although people feel there's been some very fundamental change in the sector, we've seen some very transformational transactions like the E.ON RWE energy deal in Germany, actually the majority of Europe's utilities remain vertically integrated. Time now then to hear from Johannes Tyson. He was there to talk about future energy policy, one of the themes being climate change. The E.ON chairman and CEO spoke of the need to see things through the eyes of the consumer. I would say the biggest challenge is also the biggest opportunity is engaging all kinds of customers. Mm -hmm. And for that, if I look back on the debate we had earlier today, I think we have to change the debate from a, let's say, saving the planet debate to a let's use opportunities debate. 
we have to bring climate change abatement technologies to a positive sentiment for the customers where, see, where they see the advantage for themselves. Climate change and climate change abatement technologies are predominantly identified with long-term things like saving the planet. And sometimes customers don't see what's in for them. And I think there are so many opportunities coming along that create great chances for customers. We should focus on the customer. If we engage him because he sees the use cases, then we get the mobility uh, to get a lot of things done. We, so we need to change the thing upside down. Very often, if people focus on the problem two decades out, they use it as a scapegoat to say, I don't do anything today because at some point I hit the wall, and so I rather don't stop working. And I think yeah, for so example, you know, it's, it's not yet certain how we can do the, the transformation of the whole heat system and how to square the question of seasonal storage. But we can you know, do the, the transformation of the mobility to e-mobility almost within the given system. So why don't we tackle an opportunity together with customer, together with the other industries now and leave it for research how we tackle you know, the unknown unknowns 20 years down because I'm quite certain engineers and companies will come up with a lot of, with a lot of answers and we should not block our mental uh, freedom by the unknowns. Eon Chairman and CEO Johannes Tyson. Finally then, John Federson is Aurora's co-founder and CEO. When all the analysis, networking and general hubbub had died down, he had time to reflect on the day. When I addressed the forum at the start, I said, my sense is the mood in the industry is very optimistic around the future and the prospects for deep decarbonisation. And I think there are a lot of findings that, that bore that out, actually. There are going to be a lot of renewables, was one message throughout. They're cheap. Customers want them. Business will find a way to deploy them. Uh, there are lots of market design challenges, and I think one very useful aspect of bringing people from all around the world together in one place was just to see the variety of different approaches that people are using to address these uh, these these different challenges, and lots of different market designs will, will evolve, and some will survive, and some will die, and we'll learn along the way. Uh, I think a third point that came out of it quite strongly is the importance of customers. Uh, now... Customer is central to the energy transition. There were some challenges around the role of customers and what incumbents and larger utilities, uh, how they've treated customers and, and, and where they place them in their business models. But in general, I think the idea that cu the customer is central to this transition was absolutely key. And I think the final point, and it was probably the best attended session of those in the afternoon, was around tech disruption and the amount of technological disruption in both software and hardware in this market is phenomenal. Uh, one thing is certain in my mind coming out of today, and that's that in a decade's time, even in five years' time, the market will look very different. John Federson, Aurora's co-founder and CEO. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. As I said earlier, do remember to keep a lookout for other podcasts from the Aurora Energy Research Team. In the meantime, though, it's goodbye. <laughs>